The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Monday edition Pro Football Talk Live. A week away from descending on Indianapolis. The scouting combine. Very different schedule this year. I don't like change. They've been threatening to move the scouting combine out of Indianapolis as the production morphs more and more into a TV show. One of the major off-season tent poles for the NFL. This year, the workouts moved to prime time. To the chagrin of the restaurants and bars in Indianapolis because Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, three of the busiest nights of the year for those establishments will be crickets, at least until the workouts are over. They may want to adjust their hours. They may want to open at 11 p.m. and stay open until 4 a.m. This money grab by the NFL infringing on the habits of the coaches, the scouts, the general managers, and everyone else who will be in Indianapolis. The whole thing started as a way to get all the prospects together for medical examinations. And then at some point along the line, they decided to just go ahead and start doing these workouts. And over time, it gradually morphed into a bigger and bigger deal because of TV, not because the teams thought that there was any great value in how fast a guy runs in a straight line, given that he'll be running in a straight line at his pro day workout. 
One of my all-time favorite scouting combine stories is when Major Harris, former WVU quarterback, who in many ways was ahead of his time, he ended up being a 12th round pick, I believe, of the Raiders. He showed up for his combine workout in a dress shirt and jeans. Guys just weren't trained the way that they are now. It wasn't an obsession the way that it is now. And it's a TV obsession. The ultimate reality show about nothing. It's not football, but it's on TV. Well, why am I watching? Because it's on TV, and it's going to be on TV at night. And the audience gets bigger at night. And the league makes more money at night. And that's just the way it is. So we're going to Indianapolis next week. And it's going to be a different kind of a schedule for us because it's a different schedule for access because they do all that stuff early in the week now. So we got to get there Monday for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. And I think Tuesday is the day that like anyone who's going to be available is going to be available. Wednesday and Thursdays, PFT Lives may simply be playing back some of the umpteen interviews that we end up doing on Tuesday, just one after another. It's going to be an assembly line like it was at the Super Bowl. One of the topics in Indianapolis, both of public discussion, although there's not much anyone can say about Tom Brady because he's under contract with the New England Patriots through March 18, at least the moment the league year begins at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Where will Tom Brady go? And the rumors are starting to crank up. The reports are starting to crank up. One of these Super Sunday splash reports was that the Raiders are going to aggressively pursue Tom Brady if he's not going to stay with the Patriots. Obviously, it becomes very difficult to aggressively pursue him if he does stay with the Patriots. And I saw this on Saturday morning. I saw a tweet from Larry Fitzgerald Sr. that the Raiders are prepared to offer Tom Brady a $60 million two-year contract. And my first thought was, well, when was the last time Larry Fitzgerald Sr. ever had any news? Like, why should I give this any credence whatsoever? This isn't a guy who breaks news. He's been in the media for years. He doesn't break news. And then I thought, the fact that he doesn't break news and he's going out on a limb with this tells me he's damn certain that he or, or that he's heard something. I mean, I'm not saying he's talked to Mark Davis about it, but he's heard something from someone. And think about it. He knows plenty of people in the NFL. He's at the Super Bowl every year. His son, future first ballot Hall of Famer Larry Fitzgerald of the Cardinals, knows a lot of people. And this may not have been something that he was even looking for. This may have been something that fell into his lap and, hey, screw it, I'm using it. So, it's just one of those where I had a gut feeling there's something to it. So I used it, went with it, wrote about it. Sims and I have talked about it in the past, how John Gruden basically has a crush on Tom Brady. Reminds me of George and Tony, the Mimbo. Hey, Tony. And they wanted to get rock climbing. Remember that? Kramer accused George of being in love with Tony. Sims said a couple of weeks ago that 
Gruden was raving at one point about how Brady just walks off the field. He's cool walking off the field or onto the field. He's cool while he's walking. I don't know that it works, but man, it would be fascinating. Now, Gruden has spent two years restraining his nature because he didn't want to shatter the ego and confidence of Derek Carr. I think with Brady, it would be easier for Gruden to restrain his nature because Gruden's not going to let himself unleash a torrent of F-bombs with Tom Brady. That if there's something that's not going the way that it should when Tom Brady's quarterback of the Raiders, it's somebody's fault other than Tom Brady. And $60 million for two years isn't shocking. I guess the fact that Brady's going to be 43 in August makes it surprising, but the market is at $35 million per year, new money. It's thirty-one four or thereabouts at signing. But it's going to go up. When Patrick Mahomes gets his new deal, if they do it this year, Dak Prescott's new deal, unless Tom Brady ends up in Dallas and Dak Prescott ends up somewhere else, but he's getting paid by somebody. See, that's the thing. The prospect of Tom Brady being the Cowboys quarterback creates a ton of fascination regarding what it means for the Cowboys and Brady, but what should be the next domino there, where Prescott would go, there isn't a whole lot of fascination about that. That may be the more fascinating move. So what will happen next week in Indianapolis is this. Any team that has real interest in Tom Brady will make sure that Brady's agent, Don Yee, knows. One, that the interest is there. Then an offer is coming when the negotiating period opens on March 16. And two, there will be a general idea of what the offer is going to be. There are no offers made per se during the tampering fest at the scouting combine. And here's why tampering happens at the scouting combine. All the teams are there. All the agents are there. They have an agent meeting every year required by the NFLPA. They used to do one in California, one in Indy. But any agent worth a damn goes to the meeting in Indianapolis because you meet with all the teams while you're there. And there's no way of tracking who met with whom where. Text messages, cell phones. I mean, good agents and agents who have more than a handful of players are talking to people with all the teams all the time. And then these meetings happen. There's no way of tracking it. They don't even try because everybody tampers. Everybody tampers. People that I know, inevitably, I'll hear, well, I'm meeting with the Packers and the Chargers and the Jaguars tonight. And they ain't talking about the players currently on the team. That's for damn sure. So, when the combine ends, and when Don Yee has all the information about who's available, oh, the Raiders are going to offer $60 million over two years. If he doesn't already know it now... He'll know it then. And he'll know 
whether and to what extent the Chargers are in play, the Bucks, the Cowboys, if the Cowboys are in play, the 49ers, if the 49ers are in play, anybody who's in play is going to make it known. And then after that is when any negotiations with the Patriots that are going to happen will happen because none have happened yet. Mike Reese of ESPN.com reported in his excellent Sunday notes column regarding the Patriots that there's been no movement between the Patriots and Brady. There's been no movement because the Patriots have no idea what they're competing against. And Brady has no idea what the Patriots are competing against. See, he's already a free agent. People are asking me all the time, is Tom Brady going to become a free agent? Is Tom Brady going to become a free agent? I said, he already is. And then they just look at me like, what? He's already a free agent. Even though free agency doesn't begin until March 18, he's a free agent now. Because the people who are interested will make it known. And that's the other thing, too. You don't even have to tamper. Just find a way for your interest to leak out. The NFL is not going to investigate that either. What reporter is going to cooperate with the NFL? They don't even put the squeeze on the reporters who are on their payroll to tell them stuff. To their credit, they could. It'd be very easy. You're an employee here. Tell us how you know that Team X is offering player Y $50 million or whatever it may be. Who told you? Who talked to you? They could do that. They're not going to do that. The tampering rules are not enforced because everyone does it. I had a team president tell me years ago that their team was the last holdout. And then the realization was made, everybody else is doing it. We're at a competitive disadvantage because we're the only ones who don't do it. So everybody does it. And as it relates to the Patriots having a shot to get Tom Brady, sometimes the guy needs to know what's behind door number two in order to make an intelligent decision about whether or not he's going to keep what's behind door number one. So it's a simple timeline. Next week, he finds out what's behind door number two collectively. And then after that, and I've said this before, but we need to pay attention to this because it's going to be a big story. The Raiders intending to offer Tom Brady $60 million over two years was the biggest story of the weekend by far. Exploded. Saturday and Sunday on PFT. After the combine, that's when the clock starts ticking. That's when, with each passing day, that there is not a deal with the Patriots. If you're a Patriots fan who wants Tom Brady to stay, and I assume most do, although I'd like to think some Patriots fans look at this and say, well, it's not like he's going to be around for the next 10 years anyway. If there's a guy we could get in free agency that's going to be part of the team for the next 10 years, maybe we should rip the band-aid off and move forward. Regardless, we get into March 1, March 5, March 7, March 9, March 11. We get closer and closer to the 16th when the negotiating window opens. If there isn't a leak or an announcement of a deal for Brady to stay with the Patriots, it's going to be a greater and greater chance 
he's not. And then the question becomes, how is he going to orchestrate all this? Remember the LeBron James, Jim Gray, taking my talents to South Beach nonsense from a decade ago? Brady is very close with Jim Gray. This is Jim Gray's opportunity to do it again and do it better. Because remember how hokey and dumb and sycophantic the whole thing was? Oh, it'll be sycophantic again. There's a lot you do for access. There's a lot you do for the scoop. But it's going to be interesting. And I think Tom Brady likes it. And I think he's going to milk it. And that's fine. He's earned the right to do so. When we return, there's a sense that a collective bargaining agreement is going to be reached between the NFL and the NFLPA. It will include 17 games. Some of the stuff I picked up over the weekend about what else the deal will include. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. 22 minutes after the hour, it's Pro Football Talk Live. All of a sudden, there is a sense of optimism, very real optimism, that a new CBA is coming. The two sides would like to get a deal done by March 18, the start of the new league year. But the real sense of urgency here is the desire of the NFL and the networks to extend the broadcast contracts. Because the NFL is going to pivot to those negotiations soon. And the NFLPA realizes the value of having labor peace for the next decade prior to embarking on those negotiations. There is a very simple pragmatism that is operating for those who lead the NFLPA, and it goes like this. One, players are not inclined to take a work stoppage, at least not one that results in losing game checks and not playing in games. Two, given that reality, the players will take the best offer that's on the table in late July, early August of 2021. Three, you may as well just take it now and max out the TV contracts. It's that simple. Just do it now and max out the TV contracts. Go into those negotiations saying, you don't have to worry about a work stoppage. You don't have to worry about, remember the term from 2011 where the networks were required to keep paying the league even if the games weren't being played. None of those complications, none of those issues, none of those realities. You've got peace, at least between the NFL and the NFLPA. We'll work on world peace after that. But all of those deals, starting with the Monday Night Football deal that expires after 2021 and the rest of them after 2022, more money for everybody. And with the NFLPA being paid a percentage, and they're going to try to milk a little bit more, get a bigger percentage based on playing 17 games. And 17 is coming. Now, some players want to push 17 games to 2022 or 2023. One of the problems is if you expand the regular season, you've got a bunch of guys who are under contract into 2021 and beyond. And the NFL wants to start in 2021. Why? Because they want to make more money. They want to start cramming more cheese into the pizza. 
2023, there's only 70 players right now in the NFL who have contracts that far, and they would come up with a way to make sure those players get a bump, get a premium for that 17th game. Another thing that I was told over the weekend, dramatic reduction in the two-week window for marijuana testing, or in the window. It's down to two weeks. It would have been, and it is now, like four months. It'll be down to two weeks. You need to be clean two weeks out of the year. That's when you do your one test. After that, smoke them if you got them. So whenever the window opens, and the window needs to open with the off-season program, not at the start of training camp. Off-season program. So middle of March, you stop smoking. Middle of April, the window opens. It's open for two weeks. Take your test free and clear. And also, the penalties are going to be dramatically reduced. It's going to have to be repeated and blatant violations of the policy to ever get suspended or some major criminal offense, not just possession in a state where it's not legal yet. It's going to take something more than that before you get suspended. So even though the policy will still be in place, it's going to be gutted. It's going to be revised to the point where it's almost impossible. You have to be really, really dumb or have a really, really significant problem to test positive. There's also one other point you can read about it at PFT as it relates to the fifth-year option. Real progress. You make the Pro Bowl two of the first three years that you're in the league, your fifth-year option salary becomes the franchise tender, which is a huge change and which is fair to those players and which positions them to have real leverage for their second contracts because that fifth-year option number will go up dramatically for some players. We're going to look at the Mason Rudolph, Miles Garrett back and forth when PFT Live continues right after this. Interesting developments over the weekend as it relates to Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph. Miles Garrett, as we know, because we discussed it at length last week, he was reinstated by the NFL on Wednesday. And he waited all of one day to have his first sit-down interview since the incident that resulted in his indefinite suspension that became a six-game suspension. And during that interview, Miles Garrett made public his contention that Mason Rudolph used a racial slur in the seconds prior to Garrett blowing a gasket, removing Rudolph's helmet and hitting him over the head with it. Now, Garrett explained it that he heard it, then tried to walk away, and Rudolph kept coming, and that's when it all went sideways. So, once the Steelers caught wind of what Garrett was publicly claiming, because before that, it was just something that had come up during Miles Garrett's appeal hearing. And Garrett supposedly was upset that it came out. I don't buy that. I think that it was leaked by Garrett's camp. Now, maybe they leaked it without his knowledge or against his wishes, but I think the whole idea of this was to provide justification. And Garrett can say all he wants. He's not trying to justify what he did because there's no way to justify what he did. But at the same time, in the court of public opinion, 
you are going to have people who say, well, I understand why I did what he did. Now that's out there. So now that Garrett is attaching his name to it, his face to it, his voice to it, and repeating this claim in the context of an interview given to ESPN, Steelers are getting a little more pointed in their position on it. Mike Tomlin released a statement on Saturday that, well, I'll read it to you, and then I'll tell you what I think it means. I support Mason Rudolph not only because I know him, but also because I was on that field immediately following the altercation with Miles Garrett and subsequently after the game. I interacted with a lot of people in the Cleveland Browns organization, players and coaches. If Mason said what Miles claimed, it would have come out during the many interactions I had with those in the Browns organization. In my conversations, I had a lot of expressions of sorrow for what transpired. I received no indication of anything racial or anything of that nature in those interactions. So basically, he's looking at the context. He's looking at the reality that common sense means if there was some sort of real provocation for this, something significant, something serious, something that crosses the line verbally, that he would have heard something from someone. That someone would have said, well, you know, you need to, hold, uh, you need to hear the whole story. Before you pass judgment on Miles, you need to hear the whole story. You need to talk to Mason about what he said. What do you mean? Well, you talk to Mason. Ask Mason if he said anything. You'd hear something along those lines. That's the common sense approach at some point. And it doesn't even have to be on the field. These people talk after the fact. Mike Tomlin, maybe the next morning, calls Freddie Kitchens. Hey, you know, we're going to be playing again in a couple of weeks. And, you know, we need to make sure everything's fine here. We don't need this to continue. We need to keep our teams in check. And I mean, I'm just throwing out possible ways that there would be communications. And there would be communications at various levels of the organization. It's not just coach to coach. You've got scouts that know each other, assistants that know each other, players that know each other. That this is something, and I think this is where Tomlin is absolutely right. This is something that would have emerged before Miles Garrett raises it at his appeal hearing a week later. Miles My, Garrett's claim also was rebutted by Mason Rudolph, who has previously denied using a racial slur. So obviously, he's not going to come out and say, oh, well, since Miles Garrett says it publicly in an interview, okay, he got me. Rudolph wrote on Twitter, 100, one, not 100%, not just 100%, 1,000% false. Bold-faced lie. I still don't know whether it's bald-faced or bold-faced. We'll go with bold-faced for now. I did not have not and would not utter a racial slur. This is a disgusting and reckless attempt to assassinate my character. He's not trying to assassinate your character, Mason. He's trying to justify his own misconduct. He doesn't care about your character. you're, You're a collateral damage to this. Miles Garrett's trying to make himself look better. He's trying to reclaim his public image. And the fact that he waited until the day after he was reinstated shows how calculated this was. Because if he had done it before, maybe he wouldn't have gotten reinstated as quickly as he did. Because I don't think the NFL is happy about this. I don't think the NFL is happy about it. 
I got two different emails from the NFL on Saturday without even asking them regarding this Mason Rudolph, Miles Garrett back and forth. And the communications from the league were sparked by an extended tweet from Mason Rudolph's agent and lawyer, Timothy Younger, whose message makes it clear that a lawsuit may be coming. It's got all the language in there that would make us think a lawsuit is coming, especially when the last line of the message is that Miles Garrett is now exposed to legal liability. It doesn't mean that a lawsuit is coming. It just means a lawsuit could happen. Mr. Garrett maliciously uses this false allegation to allegation to coax sympathy, hoping to be excused for what clearly is inexcusable behavior, Younger wrote. Despite other players and the referee being in the immediate vicinity, there are zero corroborating witnesses as confirmed by the NFL. Although Mr. Rudolph had hoped to move forward, it is Mr. Garrett who has decided to utter this defamatory statement in California. He is now exposed to legal liability. And the mention of California isn't accidental California is a good jurisdiction for people who want to sue. The juries are more favorable. The trial judges will give pre-trial rulings and in-trial rulings that are aimed at ensuring that the plaintiff has his or her day in court. If the jury enters a big verdict, the trial court judge is less likely to meddle with it, reduce it, throw it out. And the appeals courts there more likely to generate precedents that apply favorably when it's time to craft the rules that apply to the case. It's that simple. And I guess Garrett did the interview in California. That's how you create potential jurisdiction there. That's where you were when you said the false thing. Now, here's where you get your continuing legal education credit for those of you who need it or those of you who don't. I have it. Look, for those of you who are lawyers, please don't. Please don't try to use listening to this show as CLA on being facetious. When a public figure files a defamation lawsuit, the standard is higher than if it were a private citizen. When it's just a private citizen, you say something false that damages the reputation of someone else. If it's false, and you can show that it's false, and actually more accurately, if the person who said it can't show that it's true, truth is a defense. You've got to show it's true. If it's false, you're done. For a public figure, the standard is actual malice. Now, it's something more than saying the word maliciously in the tweet. Mr. Garrett maliciously uses this false allegation to coax sympathy. No, actual malice means that you know it's false when you say it, or you have reckless disregard to the truth or the falsity of the statement. And that's a tougher standard. Now, I think the argument here would be that Miles Garrett went ahead and said it despite the strong reaction that was generated by the news from November that at his appeal hearing, he claimed it. Because that's when the Steelers and Rudolph and others said Rudolph didn't say it. So the line of questioning for Miles Garrett would be, what did you do once you saw that Mason Rudolph denied it? 
to maybe determine whether or not you misheard him or you think you heard it? How can you account for the fact that all these people who were around and in the vicinity of this incident didn't hear it? And all he can say at that point is, I know what I heard. I know what I heard. I know what I heard. And then you get into really drilling down to the details of what he's saying and what he's claiming and does it make sense. And then you throw on top of it the video of him whacking Mason Rudolph over the head with his own helmet. You know, it could be hard for a jury to give Miles Garrett any credibility whatsoever. And the argument ultimately would be, this is about justifying to the public what Miles Garrett did. Somebody who already was developing a reputation for being a Vontez Burfick type of a player. And without justification, you're Vontez Burfick. With justification, well, okay, you just got caught up in the heat of the moment because you were called a racial slur by a white quarterback. The NFL has made it known that it has no recorded audio, that any microphones on players aren't designed to record audio anyway. And the league also pointed out that it did talk to the referee and other officials who were in the vicinity. They have no evidence that Mason Rudolph did this. And I really do think the NFL would like it all to just go away. They want it to just go away. And here's the thing. Shereen Williams and I talked about this last week. They're going to be watching Miles Garrett even more closely now for anything he does that is even close to the line. And I don't want to say that they're going to be harder on him now than they would have been, but they aren't going to be easier on him than they would have been. They're not going to get lenience if Miles Garrett has angered the folks at 345 Park Avenue because he manipulated this system, waited until the day after he was reinstated, and then went public with this extended interview where he claims something that the league would rather he not claim publicly. They don't want to go back and pick at that scab. They didn't want all these statements. They didn't want... I mean, we had four stories, five stories on it on Saturday. Tomlin's statement, Rudolph's statement, Younger's statement, the NFL's initial comment that it has no recorded audio, and then the follow-up that was sent to me when I suggested that all they had to do was bring Garrett in and grill him, bring Rudolph in and grill him, and come to a conclusion as to who's telling the truth. That's when the league said, well, we did a an investigation. But it wasn't... Look, they've investigated these personal conduct policy violations, and they have to decide who's telling the truth and who's not. Why not... And it's too late now, but bring Garrett in, grill him, bring Rudolph in, grill him, and make a decision on who's telling the truth. we got to take a break. When we return, XFL Week 2, plus another quarterback who's out there but who won't be playing for the XFL. More PFT Live right after this. 53 minutes after the hour, it's Pro Football Talk Live. Week 2 of the XFL's rec- resurrected season is in the books. And I, look... It's amazing. There's a lot of angry XFL fans on Twitter. If you say anything remotely negative about the XFL, oh, you were paid by the NFL to say that. No. No. I I criticize the NFL. Who's paying me when I criticize the NFL? This is all so stupid. I'm getting sick of it, people. 
I'm giving honest assessments of the latest iteration of a football league played in a window where past alternative football leagues have all failed. So, yeah, look, I don't want it to fail, but I don't want to fall in love with the thing and have it fail. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be candid. When the attendance drops by 12.4% at a D.C. game from week one to week two, I'm going to say so. When 30,000 people buy tickets for a Seattle game, I'm going to say so. When NFL ratings are down, I say so. When the attendance is down, I say so. When the ratings are up, yeah, you get the point. I mean, there are people out there that want us all to ignore the warts, the flaws, the moles, the carbuncles, the scars. Just, look, it's not, I, I've seen this on, on Twitter. It's not hurting anyone. Well, that's good. I mean, other than the players who get injured while playing, but they know what they signed up for. Oh, the XFL isn't hurting anyone. Leave it alone. Well, it's there. You're going to put yourself out there. You're subject to criticism. You got eight teams, and you got one quarterback who's worth a crap. I almost said a word stronger than crap. It's unwatchable at times. One of those games yesterday, it was like late in the first half, and there were no points. I think it was the Dallas game. I can't even keep the damn team straight. Was it Dallas and L.A.? The Renegades and the Wildcats? It was like 0-0 late in the, in the first half. And I said this yesterday half jokingly, but also half seriously, because 50 and 50 makes 100. If they can't get better quarterbacks, they should go 11 on 10. But hey, at least Landry Jones threw for 305 yards. The first 300-yard passing game since the XFL started up again. And Landry Jones was horrible at first. He was horrible. But he did finish with 305 passing yards, 28 of 40, a touchdown, and two interceptions. I, I just, I want to like it. But I'm not going to force myself to like it. Just because it's on TV, just because it's football, it has to make me like it. And I don't know whether they're paying people on Twitter to to prop up the brand and act, you know, they have a good social media presence. They do have that going for them. Much better social media presence than the AAF did. That's for damn sure. But th this, this fact that you can't say anything remotely negative about the XFL or you're on the NFL's payroll, the NFL's paying you to what, what does the NFL benefit from the XFL failing? It's just not a threat to the NFL. How's it a threat to the NFL? You think they're ever going to be the, at the point where they're, are they going to do like the USFL did? Where after a few years, they're going to have someone say, hey, we should play in the fall. The only reason they should play in the fall is if they're playing on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. They're not going to go head to head with the NFL. They only want to pay for decent players who are available who aren't NFL players. Right? Tim Tebow yesterday was... 52 weeks to the day after explaining how the AAF wanted him and he wasn't interested, he explained at a preseason baseball press conference how the XFL wants him and he's not interested. 
And he started to explain why, and he, he cut himself off. They're not paying enough. They're not paying enough. It's a, it's a league for guys who are trying to make it in the NFL. And they didn't offer him enough money. They didn't offer Johnny Manziel enough money. They didn't offer Colin Kaepernick enough money. They could have Trevor Lawrence if they wanted him. But I think the fact that ESPN is one of the broadcast partners will keep the XFL from targeting college players who still have college eligibility but aren't eligible to enter the draft yet. Trevor Lawrence should be playing in the XFL right now. That would make an appointment viewing. See, it has to be something more than just, well, it's on TV and there's nothing else to watch. It needs to be, oh, it's 2 o'clock Sunday and the Dallas Renegades are playing the L.A. Wildcats? Sorry, sorry, no chores, no trips, no visitors. We're watching the game. More PFT Library after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.